travel this earth's shifting sands that transcend all the reason of man. But the things that matter the most in this world, they can never be held in our hands. I believe that the Christ who was slain on that cross has the power to change lives today. For he changed me completely. A new life is mine. That is why by the cross I will stand. I believe in a hill Life with its great mysteries surely someday will come to an end. But faith will conquer the darkness and death, and will lead me at last to my friend. I believe in a hill. Amen. Let's all take our Bibles, turn over to the book of 1 John tonight. 1 John chapter 2 again as we address our topic, the world and you, the world and you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. I didn't get um, confirmation on this, but is it true that um, your sister cut her fingers real bad? Be praying for Sasha, would you? She had an accident on a I think it was a, I heard somebody say she was a table saw. She cut her fingers really bad, okay? You'd pray for her, all right? And uh, just pray that, you know, that gets taken care of. But there was a couple fingers pretty bad shape. So be praying for her, would you please? That wasn't on the prayer list, I don't believe. And I want to make sure it gets on there. So, <clears throat> very good. All right, First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. What a way to kick off the service, huh? The preaching, that is. All right. Nothing but the blood. Amen. All right. Well, Sasha was posting it, I guess. I mean, I don't understand stuff like that these days, but these kids are crazy. You know, they do the craziest stuff, show pictures and stuff. I didn't see it. I don't want to see it. You know what I mean? I'll leave it at that, but uh, you pray for it, would you please? It wasn't good, I'll tell you. First John chapter 2, verse 15. 
We say, uh, read there in the uh, passage, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Well, the world system, we said, is comprised of a few things. And last week we had the opportunity to kind of go through a question-answer period right at the beginning, and we used the PowerPoint, and we did a few things a little bit different. But let me just summarize and recap a few things as we continue to move forward in our study. But we noted that the world system is comprised of the political system, the economic system, social system, the religious system. And as a result of that, we, we know that there's a course by which the world travels, the Bible says. In Ephesians 2, 2, it says, wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. The world has a course for everyone to walk. It's very clear. It's obvious from Scripture. And unfortunately, that course leads to destruction, according to the Word of God. And as a result of that, again, the Bible says that for us as believers, those that have named the name of Christ, that have received Christ into our life, our heart, the Bible tells us we've been delivered from this present evil world. That's a wonderful truth. That's a wonderful blessing. And the Bible says that over there in the book of Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 when it says, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. I don't know about you, but once again, I'm very glad that I've been delivered from this present evil world. As we said, there's a course that the world travels. And that course leads to destruction. I've been delivered from that course, and so have you, if indeed you and I have trusted Christ. And I believe I have. I don't know about you. I can't answer for you. I can only answer for me. I've trusted Him, received Him. Have you? That's important, because if you have, then you are no longer on that road that leads to destruction. You've been delivered from this present evil world. And the Bible tells us that, as a result, we're not to be conformed to this world in which we live. But instead, we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, His Son. That's what the Bible teaches. So there ought to be a distinct difference between us and the world in which we live. Now again, that doesn't mean, as we've noted in the past, it doesn't mean that we're to be weird or strange or, uh, you know, eccentric in that regard. But we ought to be uniquely different in a very biblical, scriptural way. So we kicked off our series and we asked a couple of questions along the way. But before we did, we made a statement. And the statement was this. You must realize that if you live for Jesus Christ, you're going to encounter opposition from the world. And uh, we said that basically, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.5, 5, all believers are called the children of light. And because of that, we, you know, we know that light and darkness are opposites and that they are diametrically opposed. They cannot coexist. And as a result of that, again, being children of light, guess what? The world is going to oppose you. It's going to be, there's going to be such a unique difference that there's going to be a problem there. But not only that, but they're going to oppose you because Jesus Christ was opposed. Because he was opposed, so will you be. I mean, we're not greater than our master, are we? And you know what? The more you live for Jesus Christ, the more Christ-like you become in character and in conduct, the reality is you're going to be opposed even more for him. Amen. We also, we started asking questions along the way. And we said, well, what areas will this opposition come from? Well, the first one that we mentioned is probably is the most primary one or the one that's most likely. And we said it's going to come from those that are closest to you, from those who know you best. 
It'll be your friends, your family, your fellow co-workers, your acquaintances, those that are around you more, those that you uh, have more contact with. They're going to note, they're going to see, they're going to observe the uniqueness, the difference that Christ brings in your life. And as a result of that, they probably will kind of resist the light a little bit. We asked the question, how can I overcome this opposition? And we said, well, you need to respond properly. Man, a soft answer turneth away wrath, the Bible says. And we ought to avoid fighting and conflict as much as possible. We're not talking about submitting to or, or surrendering to uh, sin. Or we're not talking about compromising in that regard. No, we're talking about just we ought to get along with people. We ought to make it a point to try to work at getting along. Because it doesn't do any good to create enemies in the world because they're the very ones God wants us to reach. So we need to use wisdom there. We need to please God with our life, we said. How are you going to overcome this opposition? Well, you need faith in God. How are you going to overcome this opposition? Love your enemies and help them. That's a, that's a, that's a doctrine or that's a philosophy that just doesn't fit our flesh, does it? But it's one that is exactly what the doctor ordered. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we ask the question, how should the unsaved world view me as a Christian? And we said, number one, they should know you love God, not by your lips as much as by your life. I mean, they, they ought to see the difference again, not just hear about it, but observe it. And we could go on. There were a number of others that we've just recently discussed between a couple of weeks ago and this last week. Now I want to ask another question, and we want to continue with this study again, the world and you. Here's the question. How should I view the world then? As a believer in Jesus Christ, as a person who has received and accepted Him and now is, is part of His family and is walking in the light and is the light, how am I to view this world that, in, that I live in? I, I, often, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but it seems that many times, if we're not careful, we've become very critical and cynical of the very world we live in. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be in opposition to many of its positions and the direction it's going. I get that. But you know what? Can I tell you something? As a believer, you ought to have more life in you than the world ever had. I mean, you ought to face life with a little bit of, of a little bit of, spit and vinegar. You ought to face life a little bit with a little joy in your heart. I'm telling you, the world doesn't need us to go around going, this world's doomed, this world's going to hell, and there's no hope for anybody. Man, that's not true at all. Well, they need to know that we can be, you can be happy and enjoy life. I don't want my children growing up in a world where I tell them that they have no hope. And boy, I tell you, I'm so glad I, I'm not raising kids in this generation. I'm going to tell you something. If I was young, I'd be raising kids in this generation. And I'm not that old, but I'm not that young either. But I'm going to tell you this, having opportunities, if God would permit me, I would have children all over again, and I'd be just as optimistic in my outlook as I ever was. Oh, I understand that things aren't looking great and grand in the world in which we live. And I know that it's difficult in, where, in, in the circumstances we find ourselves. And it seems bleak, and it seems dark, and it seems ominous many times. But I'm telling you, we have Christ. We are more than conquerors today. Boy, what the world needs is a good picture and a good illustration of what Christianity really is. And it ought not to be dragging our chin on the ground. So how should I view the world then? How should I view it? How should you view it? Well, let's take just a few minutes and we'll note three things about that. We'll answer it with three statements, all right? So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. 
thanking you again for the privilege that we have to be a part of your family. Lord, we are so unworthy, and yet you have extended your grace and mercy to us. We understand, Lord, that we can't do anything to earn your favor. You've already done it on our behalf. Lord, we certainly want to be obedient. We certainly want to walk in uh, your ways, and we want to bring glory and honor to you. Lord, you created us with a purpose, and that purpose is to please you, to delight you, to bring glory to you. Help us to do just that. Now, Lord, be with us tonight, and may we be encouraged as we consider this simple question, how should I view the world? Lord, may you help us to see it the proper way, to view this world in which we live as you would have us view it. Well, thank you for that and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, first of all, how should I view the world? Number one, you're a pilgrim in a strange land. When we look at this world, we ought to see the fact that we're just simply pilgrims in a strange land. Look in the book of Hebrews, if you would, please. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. In the book of Hebrews, we read over there, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Again, in this particular passage, going back to that Old Testament, looking at the Old Testament saying, and boy, I tell you, even they understood while they were pilgrims, that they too were pilgrims on this earth. I mean, always God's children have been searching for a land, it seems. God's children have always been seeking a place. And you know what? That place is different than the world's place. And in this case, he's saying, listen, these here, uh, man, I mean, they confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You look at that Old Testament, you see Abraham, he's moving about and he's got tents and he's never got a fixed place to stay. When God tried to give Israel the promised land, they really made it difficult to even get into it. And then once they did, they invited the same idolatry that was there prior to their going. What a mess. Israel's been up and down and over and around and they just can't get settled in. And now over the last 70 years, they've been in their land. But boy, I tell you, things have been ominous. They've been, again, very difficult and they've had a lot of curveballs thrown their way and everybody's expecting them to either rise or fall based on what the Palestinians do, based upon what governments choose for them. But I'm telling you, God's got a game plan for them. They're going to be all right in the end. They'll be okay. They're going to have a land and they're never going to get kicked out of that land one day. Never. But you want to know something? You and I, too, have a land we're looking forward to. We're pilgrims. I mean, we're just, we are pilgrims today on this earth. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2.11... Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. The apostles being very clear here under inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we as believers, hey, he's, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. I'm talking to you and I'm, 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 I'm crying out to you and I'm begging you on behalf of the idea and the fact that you're simply strangers and pilgrims. And because you are, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Don't get involved with what the world's getting involved with. And don't allow your flesh to rule you. He says, boy, I beseech you, strangers and pilgrims. Just a few verses prior to that, in verse 9, we're given good reason for why he's calling us strangers and pilgrims. 
Look at there again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, a very popular, very, uh, uh, I guess, um, a, a, a common verse, if you would. Notice it says there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says, listen, I, I mean, you are definitely unique. You are unusual. You are different. And that's a good different, by the way. And we're not talking about wearing a top hat that's like three feet tall, walking down the street and wondering why everybody's looking at you and pointing fingers. Now, that's not what we want. Why is it that we don't wear a bunch of earrings all around our ears and up through our face and over our noses and back behind our head? Why do we do that? Because we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. We're trying to put attention on him. It's one of the big reasons for it. And our goal is to bring glory to Him. We don't wear certain clothing and we don't allow ourselves to be involved in certain things because we don't want to bring reproach on the Lord Jesus. We don't want to draw attention to self. We want Christ to get the glory. We want to fit in to some degree and yet still stand out on other issues. Man, I'll tell you, people ought to know we're Christians, but they shouldn't know we're Christians because we're so freaky. I know, I know that's a crazy term, but I mean, really, I mean, think about it. Yeah, I could, I could, I mean, you look at some people in the world and you go, wow. I mean, it kind of shocks you. It's like, whoa. Boy, Christians shouldn't be recognized for being that kind of shock value. They should be recognized for moral shock value. They've got some morals. They live uniquely and differently. They don't buy into the philosophies of the world. Boy, they are different. They are unusual. They are, wow. That's different. That's how it ought to be. And that's what the Bible's saying. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Get who you are. Understand what you are in Christ Jesus. And therefore, you're just simply strangers and pilgrims. You're not going to fit in. You're not going to fit in. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Boy, how many times have we felt at home in the world? Let's be honest. We feel at home all too often, maybe. We fit right in. I'm afraid sometimes and concerned that possibly people that name the name of Christ, that claim to be believers, don't really feel the need to be in God's house as much as they ought to. Not because I think they're trying to reject Christ in a sense, but because they feel so comfortable in the world that they don't need to come here to feel accepted, loved, and received. When isn't it sad to think that we're so loved and so uh, so um, appreciated amongst the world that we are so different from that we don't need God's people in our life. We're content with the world's people. Those that are still in darkness, we fit in with them and we get along with them and we just have no problem and they have no problem with us. And is there something wrong with that, isn't there? That should, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm not saying that we should willfully seek to have conflict. I've made that very clear earlier. But the fact is, is that, let me tell you something. 
uh, you won't want to go the same place as they go and you won't want to talk like they talk and you shouldn't want to live like they live and you shouldn't want to think like they think or watch what they watch and listen to what they listen to because you are light and they are darkness. You're in Christ's family and they're in Satan's family. There ought to be a uniqueness and there ought to be a difference there. I mean, the world, we're just simply pilgrims. Pilgrims. Strangers. Not only that, but number two, you're pilgrims in a strange land, but number two, your home's in heaven. My home's in heaven. Every time I look at the world and every time I may be tempted to say, wow, what a mess. Man, I'm so discouraged. I'm so depressed with the circumstances we find ourselves in, the situation the world is in, the, the problems that we face as a nation, the problems we face as global face, uh, we're facing globally. Like, wait a second. You got to stop for a minute. You just got to get a grip and say, wait a second. I'm going to heaven. I, 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 I'm. My home is in heaven. That'll change a few things. That'll help your perspective some. Ephesians 2, 6. Would you turn there, please? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It's a wonderful truth is that although we many times fail to recognize this reality, the truth is, is that we are already seated in heavenly places. It's as good as done. It's already transpired. I mean... We're there with the Lord in a sense. I mean, it's already happened in that regard. We got to understand that Ephesians 2, 6 and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 3, 20, turn there if you would, please. I love this passage and I like the word conversation here and we're going to touch on it just real briefly. But notice what it says in Philippians 3, 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an element that we're already seated up there with the Lord. It's as good as done. It might as well be, it's a done deal. But on the other hand, there's an aspect of of where we sit today or stand today in in a practical sense. Here we are on earth. We're looking up. Why? Because He's coming from above. He's coming from heaven here. And it says here, for our conversation is in heaven. That word our is emphatic, first of all. It's our. It's our conversation. He's referring back to verses 17 through 19 when he says, follow us. Not those enemies of the cross as he talks about. He speaks about the fact that we're not like those enemies of the cross. Our conversation is in heaven. They mind earthly things. We, I mean, we, they mind earthly and carnal things. Not us, heavenly things. Verse 19, over there in Philippians, it's, notice what it says here. It says over there in chapter 3 again, verse 19, he says, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. Well, look back at 17. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, 
And they'll tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things for our conversation. Our conversation. You see that? He's distinguishing those he's speaking to there in the passage from those in the world in which they live. You know, the, the Christians, if you will, and there are some believers here being mentioned, by the way, because he's talking to the church. It's kind of tough, you know. Christians can be in the world. Christians can choose to neglect and reject the Lord and ultimately end up in a place where they're acting and living just like the world. It's pretty sad. I mean, we, we can choose to follow the Word of God and follow the Lord Jesus Christ and follow those who are following Him in that sense, but then we can choose not to as well. And instead, as he mentions here in the passage, um, their God becomes their belly. I felt that way a few times during the holidays. Yeah. Don't eat that. You serious? I mean, never get that. It's on, you know. I went home this afternoon and I, I've been trying to lose some weight, you know. I got on the scale at the doctor's this morning. I had to take care of something real simple, but I went to the scale early this morning in the doctor's and, and uh, man, they said, uh, you, 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 you weigh, uh, and I said, yeah, I know, I've gained a little weight, haven't I? <laughs> they said, I'm sure your shoes weigh a lot. <laughs> As I left them on, I said, yeah, I got weights in them. Uh, but, you know, um, I went home this afternoon, and, and I, I had me a, I don't know, at Sam's Club, they got those cupcakes in a box. My wife does not eat those. So it's my job to make sure they're gone. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you right now, I, I enjoyed that. I went home today, and I'm supposed to be losing weight, but when I saw those cupcakes sitting there, I said, you know, it's early in the, it's early. It's late afternoon. I can eat that. It's not in the evening yet. And if I would eat that tonight when I get home from church, that'd be bad for my, 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 my health. It'd be bad for my weight. But if I eat it now, I'm sure I'll burn it off. Right? Sometimes you wonder who's God in your life, right? Think about it, really. Sometimes it might even be our belly. And I know that's a simplification of what he's expressing here, but he's talking about that flesh again. Even the Christian can allow that flesh to become God in their life. We've got to be careful because when it's all said and done, he wants, he's reminding us again that our conversation is in heaven. And that word conversation is, is from a word that I cannot really pronounce well. And so I'm not going to really try, well, maybe I will, because I know for you it'll be a time of enjoyment. For me, it'll be a time of agony. But I have it broken down by syllables. Palitio Omahai. That was not right, I guarantee you that. That sounded more something like I would have done back in uh, John Wayne's day, fighting Indians. But anyway... Anyway, politio ahi or something like that. Okay, there, there it is. That's the word. Conversation. That's the word. And the root of that word is, is derived from a word called palakis, which means a townsman or a, or a citizen. 
So when you kind of look at the meaning of that word, you put it all together. Here's what it means. It's actions as citizens. Your conversation is in heaven. And what he's really saying is your actions as citizens. You have actions as citizens because conversation is what we do. It's how we live. It's how we're viewed. It's how you're conversion. It's not just how you talk. It's how you live. And he's saying basically you're citizens of heaven. You're to be living like you would if you were in heaven. Your conversation's in heaven. So live like it. Act like it. See, we represent our kingdom And we need to ensure that we do a good job of that. Man, I mean to tell you, our kingdom could be characterized by a couple words. For sure, love, right? Obviously, mercy. Without a doubt, grace. And those are things that would be very prevalent and evident in that place. We need to live with love, mercy, and grace on our lips and in our life. Because we are citizens of heaven. And that just simply means basically that, boy, we ought to be living and acting like we would if we were in heaven right now. Well, the third thing. So we noticed two already. How should I view the world? As pilgrims in a strange land. Um, I should uh, recognize that my home is in heaven. And finally, number three, this world is a mission field to reach the lost for Jesus Christ. When I, when I consider the world and I think about the world, I, I, I view the world, I ought to see a mission field in my eyes. A mission field, a, a field of those in need of Jesus Christ, lost without Him. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We'll look at these verses. You've probably read them a bunch of times. I was going to say a million times, but that'd be a little exaggeration, wouldn't it? Well, maybe a lot. I haven't come close to a million. I'm sure you might be struggling with a million also, but we've read them a bunch of times. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem. Interestingly enough, again, the Holy Ghost come upon them. As a result, they became witnesses. He says, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You're going to have that power, and ye shall be witnesses. So the power of God through the person of the Holy Spirit creates in us, makes us the witnesses we ought to be. You know when we're not the witness we ought to be is when the Spirit of God's not controlling our life. Let's be honest. I mean, we've all been there probably to some degree. Some less than others, some more than others, but probably all of us at some point have not been the witness we ought to be. It is simply a result of the Spirit of God not having control of us as He ought to have. So anyway, he goes on to say, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 20, many of you could probably quote it tonight. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Witnesses. This world's a mission field. It's a mission field. We think of mission fields, of course, and the, our mind goes to different remote places in, 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 in uh, maybe Africa or up in some kind of European nation apart from things or, uh, I don't know, Yugoslavia or some kind of nation that we, we don't often think about. But let me tell you, missions is all around us. You don't have to go away to 
to Russia to be a missionary. You don't have to, you know, fly across the ocean to European nations or go to the Arctic or wherever it might be. You are where you need to be to witness and make a difference and an impact in a world in need. Missionaries, right where we are. And that whole idea of outreach kind of goes back to our citizenship. I mean, we're citizens of heaven. And the Bible tells us, as a result, we are ambassadors for our King Jesus and His kingdom. Look, if you will, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Notice what it says here. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And by the way, can I tell you that if you're in Christ, you are a new creature, whether you think you are or not. Amen. It, you, you are. That's, it's as simple as that. That's something God does for you. It's not something you do. Even as your salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on Calvary. The fact is, is that the transformation that takes place the moment you receive and accept his son, Jesus, is all God's work in your life. Now, obviously, there is a process of sanctification that takes place throughout our lives. I get that. But you are as much a child of God as you will ever be the moment you get saved. And you are as much a new creature as you will ever be. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Again, whether you realize that or not, it is the case. You may not appropriate it. You may not reckon that to be so, but it is indeed so. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He says all things are of God, who hath reconciled us. He does the reconciling. You don't choose to come to Christ. He comes to you. He brought you unto Himself. He reconciled you. You didn't reconcile yourself. You didn't make a decision one day. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and throw this old world behind. I'm going to receive Christ. It's all on me. I, I, to know today's the day, Lord. Get over here. No, He had to draw you. He did that in your life. See how precious the Lord is in our lives. He brought us to a place of brokenness. And we recognized our need of Christ. And He reconciled us. We simply yielded our will to His will. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we came to Him and we yielded to Him and He received us and reconciled us. To wit, verse 19, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Paul the Apostle now says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. But let me tell you, every believer now, in a sense, is an ambassador as well then. We're all citizens of heaven. We all are from another country. And we represent that country and we represent that king. And we are ambassadors for Christ. Boy, I'll tell you what. When you think of an ambassador, I believe, at least for me in the past... And sadly enough, we've lost some of this in our country, in our culture. We don't even have respect for positions anymore. We don't have respect for positions. Listen, I'm going to be frank with you and I'm going to be honest with you. I did not agree with all the, the, the 
the positions and the policies of the last president of the United States. Matter of fact, I struggled very with a lot of them. But I respected the position. He was my president. And I pray for him. Sadly enough, we have lost sight of that reality in the Scriptures. You don't always have to agree with someone, but you have to respect position. That's like even as a young man or young lady, you must respect the position of mom and dad. Whether you agree with them or not, you respect their position and you show them respect and honor. They may not even be right all the time, but they're still mom and dad. And for that reason, in order to obey God and be right with the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, you have to show them the kind of honor and respect they deserve. It's the position sometimes that you have to do that for. We've lost some of that today. We, we just don't, we don't carry ourselves that way. May I say, it used to be if you were an ambassador in another nation, you wouldn't be caught in a, just a t-shirt and a pair of jeans. You were wearing a sharp looking outfit. If you were anywhere where the public could see you, you represented America. You had to look the part, act the part. You, you were to be dignity there in that country, representing your, your nation and representing your people and representing your leadership. I still believe in many cases that is the case. And I hope it continues to be the case. I know we're getting a little lax today in some areas like that. But boy, I tell you what, as believers, we represent God. And we represent our kingdom, that heavenly place up there. I mean, when the world sees me, what do they think of heaven? How do they view heaven? How do they view my God? How do they view my king? I'll tell you what, it's, it's not always easy to represent properly, is it? It's not always easy to represent. But boy, I'll tell you what, we've got to do that. We're ambassadors. So when we think about just um, this idea of how should I view the world? Well, when I look at the world, you look at the world, we ought to realize that we're pilgrims in a strange land. We're pilgrims. And that's all there is to it, in a strange land. And then we also ought to recognize the fact that our home is in heaven. And finally, that the world's a mission field to reach the lost on behalf of Jesus Christ. That's how we ought to view the world. Everywhere we go, we need to see the world in need of Christ. As frustrated as we may be with the world in which we live, We need to see the world through the eyes of the Savior. And that is a task in itself. That will not get done as long as we operate and function in the flesh. We've got to be filled with the Spirit of God. Again, we know the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, he says, there is no law. Well, I'll tell you what, are we exhibiting that kind of fruit in our life? Because if we are, then I believe that we're probably representing pretty well. And the world is seeing more than just us. The world is seeing Him. And isn't that really the goal? If I be lifted up, I'll draw men unto, my, I'll draw men unto myself. We want Him to draw men and women unto Himself. So let's make sure it's Him that's being exalted. Amen? We can all probably do a little better at that. Let's work at it. Let's strive at it. Do our best to be those citizens and ambassadors we ought to be.
Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the chance that we've had, Lord, just to gather tonight. And Lord, I thank you for just your word and how, Father, practical it is. And I do pray, Lord.